This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast with me Amit Barua your host for this episode. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson under fire for partying during COVID-19 restrictions in his country managed to defeat the no confidence vote against his leadership on June the 6th. The margin 211 votes in his favor to 148 against while mr johnson has survived a leadership challenge nearly 40% of conservative mps have no confidence in him what does this mean for mr johnson's future is party gate the only issue that is bothering tory mps and the electorate what happens next to discuss this joining me from london is andrew whitehead former editor of the bbc's world service Welcome to the In Focus podcast. Thank you very much Amit and really very pleased to be part of this and to be on the podcast of a newspaper which I subscribe to and which I admire so much. So Andrew getting straight to the issue. So what happens next for Mr Johnson? Is he secure in this position or are the other rumbles against his leadership going to get louder? He's not secure. I mean he is toughing it out. but when 40% of your own members of parliament say that they want you gone then there's clearly a problem and this was a secret ballot but if you imagine that almost all of the government payroll vote ministers junior ministers mps who are parliamentary private secretaries and things like that almost all of those would have been loyal to boris johnson it means that well over half of his backbench members of parliament uh, don't have confidence in him so he's he's very severely wounded i mean he is is tough and i think is fairly shameless as well so he insisted even if he won that no confidence vote by a majority of one he would stay in office but then previous conservative prime ministers have said that theresa may survived a a no confidence vote by actually a bigger margin than boris johnson but she was gone within a matter of months there are a couple of really important parliamentary by elections coming up in little over a week both in conservative held seats both it seems seats which the conservatives are going to lose now that will help to build up a narrative that boris johnson has lost his magic touch he's no longer a vote winner and the conservatives are fairly ruthless ruthless if they are convinced that boris johnson will lead them to defeat at the next general election they will find a way of getting him out if if you want my guess i think he'll be gone within a matter of a few months So you mean it's something like Theresa May's situation lies ahead for Boris Johnson? Yeah, I mean he is and when I say shameless he will cling to power because he has spent his whole political career getting to the top job not because he's got a great policy agenda or a, a great mission but because he he covets that the power and the status that goes with it. So um he's not going to give it up easily but there can't be another no confidence vote under the existing rules for a year. but nevertheless i suspect if the conservatives don't recover in the opinion polls and there's no immediate sign of that then the drumbeat of concern within the conservative party will reach a climax at the time of or just before their annual conference in october this year the mechanism isn't clear but i think if if members of the cabinet say privately to the prime minister you've got to go or i'm going to resign and he le- he loses two or three key ministers then i think he would have to go himself so andrew uh, the opinion polls in the uk currently suggest that uh, labor has the advantage 
We, of course, know about the fallout from Partygate, about which I will ask you a little later too. But what are the issues that make him unpopular, in your view? I think the really big one is that he doesn't seem to be very serious about governing. His sort of buffoonery and sense of mischief and low attention level, absence of concern about detail. When he was aspiring to be prime minister, they gave an impression of somebody who was a new broom. And he is a very, you know, he's a very warm personality. He's a, you know, he's bigger than life. But I think now he's in government, this is seen as a real liability. He's flip-flopping all over the place. I think there's a real concern. I mean, one of a former Conservative cabinet minister said, Boris Johnson is a moral vacuum. He doesn't have a sense of public morality. Now, that's rather tough, but I don't think it's, I think it's the way increasingly that he's seen. The government has not done very well in responding to a real cost of living crisis. Inflation here is at its highest level for 40 years. It's expected to touch as high as 10%. This is something that we're just not familiar with. And wages are nowhere near keeping pace with that. So people are feeling poorer. And that's always a difficult time for any government. And he hasn't really given the impression of grabbing hold of this. And some of his policy announcements as he tries to regain the initiative have been really thin. You know, like, for example, lifting the legal restrictions on people selling vegetables using pounds rather than kilograms. So a sort of rather uh, a sort of oldie England type issue. Well, people didn't think that was of great interest. He's rehashing old policies and presenting them as new. He is finding grounds to battle with um, the European Union. Relations with Europe are still very poor after Brexit, but he's he's actually looking for looking for a fight, really, because he thinks that might increase his popularity. All of this feels very desperate, and he's losing what base of support he had in public opinion. Andrew, coming to Partygate, you know, from my perch in Delhi, and, you know, this has been a former perch of yours as well, you know, some people would argue that, you know, Partygate isn't really a big deal, you know. You know, a lot worse things have happened, and, you know, a lot worse acts have been committed by prime ministers across the world. Can you explain to our listeners in what context this happened and what is the kind of pressure that remains on him? Well, you're right in many ways. A lot worse things have happened. They've happened here as well as around the world. But this sense of a prime minister who made the rules, who broadcast to the nation telling everybody you've got to stick by the rules and then presided over an office and workspace which routinely broke those very same rules has really eroded confidence in Boris Johnson and indeed in the whole political process. And you can't, if you make the rules yourself, you've got to be seen to stick to the rules. And he didn't do that. And it wasn't just once or twice. It was a whole procession of instance. And he has become the first prime minister for I don't know how long, who's been fined as part of a legal process. He's been fined for breaking the COVID social distancing rules. And that really, for a prime minister, a head of government, people felt that was a real betrayal, especially when for so many people, and you know what it was like during COVID with all the restrictions and staying at home, not meeting people, not being able to meet family, people dying in hospital without having their loved ones around them. People here had really suffered 
through the COVID lockdowns. And the feeling that Boris Johnson was contemptuous of what everybody else was going through, didn't really think the rules were about him added to that. And he did apologise, but I think many people felt not very convincingly. He still doesn't see what he's done wrong. Tell us, Andrew, I mean, you mentioned inflation and, you know, the kind of price pressures people are facing. So, so in a sense, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, came pretty handy for Boris Johnson in the sense that, you know, a lot of focus has been on the Ukraine war. And if you see Western news outlets, you see the overwhelming focus on Ukraine. So you think uh, Boris Johnson has used that as a crutch to sort of hold on to power? Uh, Yes, I do. I I think if it wasn't for the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Boris Johnson would not be prime minister. There was a real groundswell of opinion among public opinion, but also within his Conservative Party that wanted him out. And then, of course, when you look at what's happening in Ukraine, then the issue of Partygate does seem fairly minor. And one of his big arguments still is whatever you do, don't ditch your prime minister in the middle of a grave international crisis. And I think, I have to say, I think Boris Johnson responded well to the invasion. He's been to Kiev, he's met President Zelensky, he has tried to uh, not simply offer military support, military hardware, diplomatic support, but has tried very hard to encourage the US and the European Union to stand with him and to stand with Ukraine and with some success. So I think his handling of that crisis so far has been generally good. But as that becomes the sort of the drama of that conflict, the shock of it is now starting to abate and the conflict is still very real and Ukraine is still fighting a war of survival. But it's not dominating political debate quite as much as it was in February, March, April. And that is one of the reasons why Boris Johnson has become vulnerable. You can't say for months on end, this is not the time to look at the leadership. I mean, there has to come a moment when you can say we're back to politics as normal. We're not quite there. But nevertheless, I think uh, that was one of the reasons why the confidence vote was held earlier this month. You never know. It's possible if things take a very severe turn in in Ukraine, that could again give Boris Johnson a further lease of life. But I suspect not. I mean, you know, it may be a slightly unfair question for me to ask you, Andrew, but I'm still going to ask you this question. Is how how do ordinary people uh, in the UK, how do they perceive this Russian invasion of Ukraine? I think really with a great sense of bewilderment, people thought we were beyond this, that the Cold War had abated, that Russia's sense of imperial ambition was over. So by and large, public opinion didn't really see this as coming. There was a lot of warnings from military experts and others that Russia's doing something there. And of course, there was the takeover of of Crimea. But the, the, the viciousness of this conflict, the shelling of civilians, the executions, the sexual violence, the huge number of refugees within Ukraine and leaving Ukraine, only a small number of which I'm I'm ashamed to say have been able to make it to the UK. But all these things absolutely galvanized public opinion. And I'd say public opinion here is 98% with Ukraine and against Russia. And you still quite commonly see people sporting the Ukrainian flag as a badge on their jacket. Thousands of people have offered to take in 
Ukrainian refugees, even though the visa regime is making that a difficult process. So British public and political opinion is very strongly with Ukraine and against Russia. And um, I mean, there are a small number of people who say, hang on, NATO handled this very badly. Uh, Russia has an interest, a legitimate interest in Ukraine. But there's no, I'm just thinking, there's no substantial political figure in this country who has come out as pro-Moscow. You know, um, I referred to the fact that, uh, you know, you you were in South Asia for many years, Andrew, and uh, you would recall uh, the lectures, especially India and Pakistan got on, you know, having a good dialogue to ensure that crises don't erupt uh, in the subcontinent. You know, some of us here are quite bewildered that, you know, really uh, Western governments uh, didn't have that kind of dialogue mechanism that should have existed with the Russians and they didn't see this coming in effect. I think there's, I mean, I understand what you're saying there. I, I think there have been attempts over the years to have overtures with Russia, but it's very difficult. I mean, Russia has quite clearly assassinated dissidents on British soil in recent years. And that <laughs> makes it very difficult to have diplomatic business as normal. And Vladimir Putin is a very difficult guy to to deal with. Um, So you can always say that, with hindsight, perhaps more should have been done. And perhaps there could have been more reflection on just how vulnerable Moscow felt when it saw Ukraine, Ukraine sort of becoming an ally of the West and talk about admission to the European Union, perhaps even talk about Ukraine joining NATO. So all of that, I think, are fair points. But I don't think there's all that much you can do to prevent somebody sending his army over borders if that is what they are determined to do. I mean, the the impact of sanctions on lifestyle uh, in, in Russia is enormous. People are really suffering there. Russia, of course, is not in in any parlance, a a functioning democracy. So it's difficult for accountability to be expressed. Plus, of course, there is a very strong sense in Russia of Russian nationalism. I don't often basically say I'm not quite sure what more could have been done. But on this occasion, I think quite a lot of effort was made to try and find a way of damping down the tension, perhaps too late, but there didn't seem to be a willingness from Moscow to engage. And you can't, as I say, you know, if you're going around knocking off dissidents in other countries, you can't then expect the countries in whose soil you're conducting these killings to say, oh, well, let's put our differences aside and, and get to the negotiating table. It doesn't quite work like that. Before I let you go, Andrew, you made a mention of refugees uh, in the Ukrainian context. We also see Boris Johnson's uh, government deciding to, you know, send um, asylum seekers to Rwanda. How how is that policy playing out in the British public? It's bizarre. I mean, I'd say almost obscene. The idea that you you send people who've arrived in desperation on Britain's shores yes, in many cases, without going through a proper process, that you bundle them and send them to Central Africa. I mean, it just is, it's, well, the Prince of Wales privately has described it as appalling. And I think liberal opinion here is appalled. On the other hand, there is a very strong viewpoint among many people here that you've got to do something to stem the fly, uh, the, 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 the sort of inflow of illegal migrants, refugees, people pitching up 
uh, in boats provided by people smugglers on beaches in the south coast of, of the UK. The overall numbers are not huge, but the trend is very sharply up. So I think public opinion is, is, is not as outraged as I personally am by this move, and it's willing to see if this initiative will have an effect. And the whole purpose of this is not to move thousands of people from immigration detention centres in the UK to Rwanda, is to say to people who are thinking of coming to Britain, if you do come without proper process, if you come without the paperwork, if you're dropped off on a beach by a people smuggler, you may not have the chance of even staying in a detention centre here. You may be sent to Central Africa, and the hope is that that will dissuade them from making the journey. I mean, I think it's, well, I've said what I think about it. Um, but at the moment, public opinion here, general public opinion is is feeling, I think, let's see what effect it has on the number of people who are making that journey across the channel in these very flimsy boats. And does this policy get uh, Boris Johnson some more right-wing votes? Yeah, perhaps it does. Certainly some of the popular press have been proclaiming on their front pages that this is a bold initiative, it's absolutely what's needed, something had to be done to stem the flow of illegal migrants. So there will be some modest rallying. But to be honest, sort of sort of people who really like this sort of initiative are Boris Johnson loyalists in any case. And it's not it's not them who are losing confidence in him. So I'm not sure it's really going to be a big game changer for him, but it will help to shore up his position with those who are, shall we say, you know, have a sort of nationalist, what you might call a little England outlook on life. Andrew Whitehead, thank you so much for talking to the Hindus in Focus podcast. It's been a pleasure, Amit. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.